Welcome to First Turn, where we play board games for the first time and discuss our immediate reactions. It's like book club, but for board games. I'm Eric, and with me is Kate, Kiwi, and BP. Hello. Hi. Hi. Today we're going to be playing Cascadia, designed by Randy Flynn, developed by David Easy. Mm -hmm. uh, the artist is Beth Sobel of Wingspan, Viticulture, Arboretum, Lanterns. Tussie Mussy. I think, I think we've played almost all of those on that list. There's a couple we haven't, but almost all of them we've played. Published in 2021 by Flatout Games and AEG. The description is Cascadia is a puzzly tile laying and token drafting game featuring the habitats of wildlife of the Pacific Northwest. Create the most harmonious ecosystem as you puzzle together habitats and wildlife. The mechanics are drafting, hexagon, pattern building, solo solitaire, tile placement, and variable setup. And the box art? Very Cascadia. It's got like a mountain range, definitely the Rockies for those in the States. Cascades. If you read the description of the Cascades, it specifically says that it goes from the Pacific Ocean to the West and then to the East bounded by what is generally the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains has a whole bunch. You got the Sierra Nevadas in the in the Rockies. You've got the Cascades in the Rockies. There's a whole bunch of mountain ranges. The Rocky Mountains are typically all the mountain ranges on the West Coast. Hmm. And then there's an elk. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, uh, and then would you call this um, like a watercolor or? Uh... <laughs> No, I'm no. done. No watercolor. Very almost realistic, though, in yep. its yeah. trying to be portrayal. Realism, almost, maybe? So would you pull this off a shelf, uh, Kate? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I would. Nature setting, I don't know, I would find that attractive. And um, yeah, I'm not, not too sure how to play it based on the description yet. But um, it sounds like some other things that we've played that I've enjoyed. So yeah, I'd be curious. Okay, BP? Uh, yes, I've lived in the Cascade region uh, for a while of my life, and I am a big fan of Beth Sor Sobel. So it might be one of those things where I was like standing next to somebody, talking to him, and then I looked over and it caught my eye. And then I was like, oh, because on the box it says in pretty big lettering, illustrated by Beth Sobel. And then I would be like, oh, let me pick this up. Not like that's ever happened before. Yeah, I would pick it up. I think I've said in the past that if it has Beth Sobel's name on the box, right. I'm picking it up. I don't care what the theme is. <laughs> like, just All of her art is just great to look at. It could be the worst theme, and I would still play it because <laughs> Beth Sobel illustrated it. Yeah, this is uh, like probably the biggest game at Gen Con that I felt like we maybe missed out on. I almost maybe mm. just bought mm, yep. it because it's, it's animals. It's nature-y. It looks like a fun little tile placement thing. Uh, well, the only hesitation is that like the solo solitaire, so I'm guessing it's not going to have a lot of interaction, but I don't, mm -hmm. might not be a big deal. Um, but I I'd pick it up, yeah. So how do we think it's played, Kate? Well, I think what comes to mind is probably what uh, Ecos mm -hmm. in terms of um, tile placement and just because that's a like a natural theme as well. So I'm like different types of uh, terrain that you're putting down with the tiles and then putting wildlife on top. That's and the ecosystem idea, because that was in the description, right? Harmonious ecosystem. So you, yeah, you want to make sure you have your, your forest and lakes 
and things all in proper harmony. What animals are we going to have? Fish and elk (laughs) and deer (laughs) and birds. Don't forget those owls. Like I totally remember in the 1990s, I did do the spotted owl protests in Portland. So yeah, you got to have the spotted owls. You got to have, yeah, obviously deers, uh, maybe some wolves. They have been reintroducing wolves back into uh, the ranges and, and salmon. Salmon's huge in the Pacific Northwest. It's a lot of fish involved here. So uh, uh, history of uh, elk eating salmon. Well, bears obviously eat salmon. Maybe the elk don't. Elks are going to eat the plants. Cascadia and the Cascade Range. Um, So some interesting things. If nobody has ever been to the Pacific Northwest, the Cascade Range running pretty much from uh, British uh, Columbia uh, through Southern Oregon uh, is it is gorgeous. And the Columbia River is probably one of the, the big rivers that also ties that all together. Um, the Puget Sound area is also a big component of that. Um, and it's got really a fascinating history in even especially because of its ecosystem. Um, what's really interesting is obviously a lot of the mountain ranges were named uh, by some of the indigenous peoples before right, white people got there. Um, and I'm not going to butcher any of those names because it would be a really disgrace. But right then white people came along and renamed everything. Uh, one of the big mountains that was in the area I say was just because it's no longer as big any longer. Um, So there was, of course, in 19, not of course, but if you didn't know, in 1980, Mount St. Helens blew its top. Um, I know that because my mom's family is from the Dowells, Oregon, which is on the east side of the Cascades along the Columbia River and Gorge. And uh, that greatly was affected uh, when the mountain erupted. And so uh, we learned at very early ages about uh, volcanoes and their eruptions. So the Cascades are all active volcanoes. Um, Mount Hood is uh, one of the biggest ones in Oregon. Mount Rainier, they're all still very active volcanic, um, I you know, uh, undergoings underneath the mountain ranges. On the eastern part of the Cascades in Oregon, there's a lot of volcanic fields. So even when we talk about ecology and ecosystems in this area, we may even want to be thinking about some of the geology and the rock formations. Uh, And it offers a great variety, again, in that ecosystems of on the one side, Usually on the western side of the mountain range, you'll see a lot more of the pine trees, you know, crystal clear lakes. I mean, there's Crater Lake is pretty famous, too. Uh, with, where, the, with the old man of the lake, the floating stump is uh, in Crater Lake. And then on the eastern side, you have kind of more high deserty terrain regions. And then, you know, in the 19th century, enter white people. Um and um, the the interesting thing about Cascadia, the name and white people is that um, one of the even before kind of um, 
the the Civil War era, right? You have a you've heard of Lewis and Clark and the Great right, Trail that went westward. Um, shortly after Lewis and Clark, who did make it all the way, of course to the Pacific Ocean, um, and Oregonians like to really talk about that. Uh, but also uh, Fort Astor, named after a man named John Jacob Astor, who uh, followed along in 1813 uh, to set up some of the fur trade outposts along that area. So you'll probably also have some beavers showing up, right, for some animals. Uh, beaver was a big item for trade uh, during the time because, of course, waterproof pelts were in high demand. Um, and Oregon is the beaver state. But I bring up John Astor because he set up Fort Astor, which is now modern day Astoria, which uh, I do have a lot of family living in um, currently. So uh, it kind of comes full circle. But I bring that up because uh, Thomas Jefferson, one of those great founding fathers, if you will, actually ha is had written a letter to Astor talking about uh, setting up this huge empire that would include, right, kind of the whole uh, manifest destiny ideas, the Monroe Doctrine ideas, right, bringing civilization, et cetera, to uh, the West. And so this whole idea of Cascadia actually was set up before Oregon country even became a part of the United States as kind of this destined to be right brought in by white people and civilized. Um, and I use civilized, civilized with quotes in that type of remarks, because obviously there were people who were living there that uh, had their own civilizations, uh, their own societies, cultures, uh, their own use of the land. Not always, uh, you know, kind of always harmonious. Uh, definitely there were a lot of fights over fishing territories in the Pacific Northwest. And there would also be huge, uh, again, earthquakes uh, that have been recorded by many of the native peoples who lived there before white peoples got there. Um, tsunamis had taken place. So it's a it's a beautiful area with both a long uh, ecological, geological and even more modern uh, controversial and political history. So I'll just leave it at that. I feel like I could talk a lot about this because it's very close to my heart. So I'm very excited to see what Beth Sobel and our tile placement brings to this uh, wonderfully diverse habitat. How are we going to play it, Kiwi? Did we nail it earlier? Uh, I mean, I feel like Ecos is probably somewhat close, but not close enough. Mm. All right. So in this game, I guess we are nature. I don't know. Oh. Uh, we're trying to create the most diverse Pacific Northwest environment we can. Also called, called Cascadia, it generally extends from the Pacific Ocean to loosely the Rockies and spans the Canadian provinces of the Yukon Territory and British Columbia, as well as the U.S. states of Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. That's all from the rule book. That's why I put it there. Hmm. Uh, the first player is the one to have most recently seen one of the wildlife that's in the game. A bear, elk, salmon, hawk, or fox. Uh, there is a fox that lives next to my building at work. Damn. And so we see a fox <laughs> like every cheating. day. Does the salmon have to be alive? <laughs> I, you know what? It doesn't say. It just says. Ooh, I had salmon last week. I mean, I went to the grocery store on Friday. I looked at the fish counter. 
Okay. It sounds like Kate, because I haven't mm-hmm. seen the Fox for about a week and a half. Okay. So um, uh, play will then go clockwise around the table, selecting habitat tiles and wildlife tokens, expanding their environment until the end of the game. The end of the game is triggered when there are no more habitat tiles to draw after a player's turn. So each player will get exactly 20 turns. Hmm. At the beginning of your turn, you'll have pairs to choose from. Each pair includes a habitat tile and a wildlife token. If all four tokens of the wildlife are the same, uh, basically you're going to put them all to the side. You're going to draw all new tokens uh, and then put those four that you had uh, back in the bag. If three of the four are the same, you can opt to replace them, basically doing the same thing. Um, And then you must select a pair together. So whatever habitat you take, you also take the wildlife token uh, with one exception. If you have a nature token, you can play it and then you can select any of the four habitat tokens and any of the four wildlife tokens. Uh, next. Oh, yeah. And then you can also use the nature token to replace uh, any number of wildlife tokens. And that's just like before. Uh, next, place the habitat tile and wildlife token in your environment. The habitat tile must be placed adjacent to a previously placed tile or one of the starting tiles. So we'll each start with three uh starting tiles, uh, and at least one side touching. Other tiles cannot be moved, and the tile cannot cover other tiles. So basic tile layering game mechanics. After placing the habitat tile, you'll then place your wildlife token. The token can only go on a tile with its matching image, so you can't put an elk in a tree. Um, And that has... um, But a salmon-eating elk? Could a salmon-eating elk be perched in a tree? I do not know the natural habitats of salmon. There's no salmon in the trees. They probably wouldn't be there. Yeah, that's true. Um, And then now I'm picturing, hold on. I'm picturing an elk diving out of a tree into a lake and like grabbing a (laughs) salmon. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. 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 Yeah, that would be pretty wicked. Um, (laughs) And then it it also can't have another token on it. So there can only be one wildlife token per tile. Uh, If you have no legal option or you choose not to place your wildlife token, you return it to the bag. If you place your wildlife token on a keystone tile, it's going to have a little triangle icon on one of the uh, in one of the corners. It's also going to have a Douglas fir leaf icon. Uh, You get a nature token. When a player finishes their turn and there is no habitat token to draw, the game is over. Players will get points based on the wildlife scoring cards, which uh, will deal with like where you've placed wildlife tokens. Uh, you'll also get uh, habitat tile corridors. So you'll get one point for each tile in the largest group for each of the five habitats. You'll get habitat majorities. So these will go to the players that have the, uh, the most, basically have the highest corridor count for each of the five uh, habitats. And finally, you'll get one point each for uh, your nature tokens. The tile, uh, and then the winner is the one with the most points, and tie goes to the player with the most nature tokens. If it's still tied, they share the victory. Let's play! We just finished a game of Cascadia. To recap, BP the Salmon had 81 points. Kiwi the Bear had 85 points. I the Hawk had 87 points. And Kate the Elk had 89 points. Kate, winning strategy. Uh, Elk? (laughs) (laughs) Had a last minute elk rush. Um, Yeah, 
I think that was probably my strategy. Um, I got that all pretty early on, and then otherwise I was just doing a variety of the um, animal objectives. Yeah. And the um, lucky last-minute elk. Yeah. I, I think I did the same thing. It was just sort of what tiles were available and then trying to fit the animals in, and I got a last-minute bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I defaulted to hawks when I didn't know what else to do because they seemed like they were easy. <laughs> so, uh, you too? Uh, yeah, I think I tried to spread load it a little bit. I, I wanted to play more elk, but then I messed it up. So I just like completely left elk alone and just played off the other things. Yeah, I did the same thing. My opening strategy was elk and then it all went to shit. Yeah. And then I tried to just build kind of a, I tried to focus on one, um, habitat as well try to build up mm. a big habitat and then like slowly build up the other ones but you didn't actually do very well on your habitats uh, just the mountain i did good in the mountain mm. kate did, did really good on her planes yeah what was your strategy pp salmon <laughs> salmon i mean i wanted a salmon run because who doesn't want a salmon run i think it's interesting is of all the salmon tiles the one right in the middle is the only one without water it jumped all right. Uh, so what did you think of the theme? Did you feel like you were um, nature in Cascadia? I don't know if I felt like that. I, I do feel like we, we were definitely using like, you know, there were a couple of jokes about salmon and trees and some tree elk. And, uh, you know, we were calling the things what they were. I would agree. I It didn't really feel like a living ecosystem or anything like that. But it did. I mean, it was a fun theme on, on top of a tile game, like mm-hmm. placing a you know the animals was fun and and the yeah i mean pretty much just the same as you both already said that the it was fun to be uh paying attention to the animals and and collecting them but there wasn't a whole lot of like a relationship between the animals and between the habitats i mean i feel like they tried to but yeah um I mean, it reminded me, though, as much as Ecos, except that with Ecos, you could at least like have your sharks come through and eat everything. I feel like the salmon, you know, having salmon that close to bears. I mean, you might not have salmon for very long. Yeah. Like, I think Ecos is a little bit more thematic if you're going for an ecosystem theme, Um, just in that there was more interaction between the animals. But um, I don't I don't think this is bad necessarily. It's just a little, little lighter. Uh, table presence, BP. Uh, it is pretty. I mean, obviously, Beth's sorble, so sorble. Uh, you always put an R in it. I don't know. Yeah. I know. I do. I don't know why. Um, and a bit like Ecos, because it's got you know the tiles with the colorations, and you want to like match them up. Except unlike Ecos, where everybody's building on the same, you have your each in your own. So I did actually zoom out a lot to kind of see the shapes people were creating. So I feel like if you were walking by, um, it's an interesting tile placement because it's not just in a little grid shape, you know, and so you you'd be walking by and there'd be weird shapes coming up and it's very colorful. So I feel like it's got a a pretty good one going. And those cards that tell you the scoring points at the end, uh, we, when they were first brought out, we were like, are these photographs or drawings? They're very realistic. So yeah, I feel like it would capture your eye. Yeah. This is a really pretty game. Uh, Yeah. It just has a really good table presence. It's colorful. It's pretty. The cards are good. 
Like it's just I think you'd walk by and be like, ooh, what is all this? Anything that you're like placing hexes that line up and stuff. If you if you do if you do it bad, it'll look bad. But if you do it right, like you get like a nice little clump of forest in a mountain. It just looks nice. Or a salmon run. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um yeah, anytime there's a little tokens with animals on them, I, I also enjoy that. Kind of like the Galapagos game as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and when they're done well like this. Yeah, I don't have anything additional to add. I agree with everything that you guys said, except for the Galapagos thing. I haven't played that, so I don't know if that's the actually the case. Um, mechanics, Kiwi, did you uh, enjoy your tile placing? I yeah, I did enjoy my tile placement. I liked the aspect of there was a little bit more to it. So like you had to think about not just what was on the tile in terms of habitat to like try and build up those habitats, but also what was on the tile animal wise. I think for at least for Eric, and I know I did for sure, didn't really think about what was on the tile and then mm-hmm. placed it. And then mm-hmm. I think Eric noticed it with his bears and then I noticed it with my elk. I ended up placing a tile where I, I really screwed up what I was doing. And so I wasn't going to be able to get that, uh, you know, those tile, those points for the elk. And then Eric did the same thing with with the bear because he kind of stopped himself with a piece that could only take a bear. Mm. Uh, so I, I really liked how that kind of all worked together. And then the fact that it was also for the, the you know, the drafting. So it, maybe you took a tile that you didn't really want, but you wanted the wildlife mm-hmm. or vice versa. You didn't really care about the wildlife, but you wanted the habitats. And there was a way to. Yeah, there's a way to shift it with the yeah. nature tokens. I felt like everybody, maybe Eric didn't have as many as other people, but I felt like if we had tracked it, we probably all got about the same number of nature tokens. I think I and did. Fa- I just spent them a lot more. Yeah. And I feel like since all of our scores were pretty close together, like nobody was way off from mm-hmm. somebody else. So like mm-hmm. there was only an eight point spread between first and last. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, the the mechanics worked really well and, and everybody had a pretty fair chance, I felt like, at being in first. I think it was the majorities, honestly, because there was two two of the majorities that Kate won that we mm-hmm. all tied at. And so Kate got all those points. Right. And I think that's really what put the big spread in there. I think it would have been even closer. And I'm not sure who would have won had some folks got points for being second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like mechanically it doesn't necessarily do anything new. But what it does is it's really clean, like drafting, tile placement, you know, nothing new. But it was really clean in the way they went about it. So. Yeah, it's like one of those good implementations of sort of some basic mechanics. Kate, yeah. favorite mechanic? I think actually I was going to say this is my favorite mechanic. <laughs> like I, if I think about the games that I enjoy, like the Castles game, mm-hmm. I I like this kind of puzzle and I think it's fun even when it doesn't work out. And it's like, oh, shoot, I put a bear tile here. Yeah, like, it's one of the things like Shut Up and Sit Down, I think always says is like at the end of the game, like you either want to have cool moments or like something to show for it. Mm-hmm. which is why like castle mad king even if you do terrible point wise like yeah, you built a cool a good, castle yep. or like you've built a cool little ecosystem here mm-hmm. so like it's just fun yeah i i felt like i used the like let's replace the wildlife tokens a lot and i was wondering if like you guys think think that there's like there were too many opportunities for that or it didn't really influence the results so uh, you could really make matter. this a, like a tighter more competitive game if you reduce that sort of difficulty level they were going for with this game is much more lighter much more mm-hmm. relaxed one mm-hmm. i think that one you add a lot more like things to negate like 
unlucky drafts. So I, I think it was the right amount for this type of game. I think mm -hmm. you could have reduced it and made it a little bit more of like a, a tighter, more challenging puzzle. But mm -hmm. um, like, what did we play? Um, the um, the cat tile one. Mm -hmm. Not Calico. Cats, but um, Calico. That one was like really like you did not have many options. And if you yeah. got unlucky, it was like real stressful to try to solve your puzzle. But like mm -hmm. this one didn't feel stressful at all. Yeah. Also, also best soap alert. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> rules. Uh, okay, BP, how'd you feel learning the game? Pretty good. I don't think we struggled at all. Yeah, I think the only thing I went into the rulebook for was Eric's question about can an elk count in more than one line? And then I looked all through the rulebook. I found the answer pretty quickly because uh, they have like a little bit at the end explaining each of the scoring cards. And then when I looked at the scoring card, it actually says the elk can only count for one line. So I didn't have to do nearly as much work as I thought I did. Yeah. And we probably would have solved that just in person where it'd be easier to glance at the card. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty easy to pick up. Um, I just is one of those games where like about, I don't know, a quarter of the way through, we clarified how some of the scoring works as we started to understand it better, mm -hmm. uh, like with the um, habitats. But I mean, it was easy to pick up. It's just sort of one of those things like you don't really care about the rule until you understand it enough to care mm. about the rule. Right. Yeah. Making sure I got my salmon run proper. Yeah. And yeah, I just I. I listened to how the scoring worked, but didn't really listen and was, yeah, just. Yeah, this is one of those things like you don't really care about scoring until you're ready to care about scoring. Yeah. yeah. Kiwi made a hand gesture. Yeah, well, I was welcoming Kate to the podcast. Yeah. Because you can join everybody else. They we listen, listen to listen. Kiwi, but don't really listen. When it comes to scoring, until you under kind of understand how the game is played. You don't process like what you're hearing. Yeah, like you don't really take in how scoring works until you're ready to like, okay, am I doing this right? Kind of mm -hmm. thing. So, uh, Kiwi, anything else on rules? Uh, no, I was going to say the rule books laid out really well. The, the one thing I did want to look up, you know, I found the answer pretty quickly. This is one of those rule books where they, you know, the rules are, are well laid out, but then they have like little bits and pieces. So mm -hmm. like, you know, it talks about, you know, I, I took that bit about Cascadia and they talked about it in the rule book. They talk about, you know, everybody that was involved with the design and production of this game uh, either has lived in or oh. lives in the Cascadia area. So it was like something that was like close to them and they really wanted like to put that much effort into it. There's a page that talks about each of the five animals and each of the five habitats. Um, it's got like a, uh, uh, an achievements page. So when you play multiplayer games, there's like, you know, pick no elk is one of the achievements. And so like you kind of do that. And I, I think oh, that AG, was like Calico. Calico did that too. And I think we've played some other stuff where they, they kind of had achievements in it where you mm -hmm. could kind of play like this sort of campaign esque, but not really mm -hmm. campaign esque. I think AEG has done it with a few of their games. Um, which I, I think is, which is interesting, but mm -hmm. it, it doesn't take away from the rest of the rule book. Um, and then I didn't really look too hard at the solo solitaire uh, rules, but um, I'm sure it would be pretty close to similar to I'm sure there's like a take your turn, replace stuff, take your turn, replace stuff. And then you're probably trying to like get a certain score mm -hmm. uh, to like beat the computer or something. Yeah. So on that note, player interaction. Um, yeah, not pretty solo solitaire type game. Not too much player interaction. Uh, I don't think it really mattered. It was more interactive and like, oh, I want to see what your your thing looks like or want to see what mm -hmm. you're working on. Um, but didn't really impact gameplay. It was more just, a, you know, social 
uh, interaction. Yeah, and I, I think there were a couple of times where, you know, people pick stuff that other people wanted. So I think I called Kate the bear thief at least three mm-hmm. times and I got called a bear thief. Um, <laughs> that was pretty negated by the uh, nature tokens and how many times. Yeah, just, yeah it was more just kind of like jokingly. Kind of yes. Thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and it never felt it was like you have enough options. You There was enough ways that you could clear up to like make new options like it was great when eric you know played both of his nature tokens and got the bear that he needed to get those points like that was fun um and then yeah like you know nobody was hate drafting because i I don't feel like there's enough choices or enough turns to make that a viable thing that you should do because i think that would cost you way too many points but it was fun looking at everybody else's uh habitat which sometimes with games like this you don't care but I think the fact that it makes something really nice to look at, that you want to look at other people's mm-hmm. boards. Yeah, I just what everybody said. I think I was I was zoomed in on mine because it just made it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we were playing in person, I would be looking at everybody else's. Yeah, and maybe if you were more advanced at playing it, it could be more interactive if you did actually do something with the draft and try to block. People. Yeah. And like when we were counting, okay, we know there's 20 of the animals in the thing and figuring that out. But I, I still don't think this would ever become a super competitive type game. No. no. All right. Would you play it again? Kiwi. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, this game um, is very similar to Overboss, which BP and I played, mm. I don't know, like 20, 30 episodes ago, maybe. Um, it had a very similar mechanic where you drafted a you know location tile and you got a minion that went, went with it uh the difference being is you had to place that minion and there were like kind of different elements but you were really stuck to the four by four grid mm-hmm. that you had to play on um i think you could go to like there was an advanced mode where you got like a five by five grid but uh honestly i would replace that with this this was just like i felt like this looked better uh I liked the fact that I wasn't restricted to a, a grid. Like I was, I could build in any direction I wanted to. I mean, everybody's board looks different. Mm-hmm. And Beth Sobel. Yeah. And then the Beth Sobel art is just great. And like, I, I like the pixel art that's in Overboss yeah. and Boss yeah. Monster and all that kind of stuff. I just feel like there isn't enough room in a small collection to have both. Mm. And I would play this one over that one just because it, I feel like it looks better and the relaxed tile laying, since you're not mm-hmm. restricted to a grid to play mm-hmm. in, just kind of makes me feel better. Yep. Yeah. And think how often we actually do bring Wingspan to the table. Oh yeah, Wingspan like, comes are, out all the time because it's so just fun to it. look at yeah. that. It's a good game and then the art looks good. And I feel yeah. like this is kind of in the same camp. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good light game and it's great to look at too. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, like want you want to bring it to the table because of that. So yeah, I would absolutely uh, play it again, and I would replace one of our games with it. Uh, BP, do you agree with that? I do. Big oh. Beth Sobel fan, and I like tile placement. Wasn't that one of my things? We uh, could have a cooperative tile placement, uh, pattern building, cooperative pattern building, pattern building is yeah. what you wanted. Yeah. All right, uh, Kate. Uh, yeah. Of course. I mean, I would always play everything again. <laughs> but this especially, I mean, I, I said earlier that I really enjoy this mechanic and the animals were fun. And it was also really easy to learn. So it would be a good one to have for any type of crowd. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I kind of regret not getting this at Gen Con because I did see it. <laughs> um, but I wanted to play it first because uh, I wasn't sure because I have Ecos and I was like, oh, OK, well, I don't know if I want yeah. like if it overlaps with Ecos, but I really we mentioned a couple times thematically it 
kind of does, but I don't think gameplay it does at all. No, I think agreed. my closest comparison would be probably, I think I said King, King Domino. Mm. Um, but this just adds more elements and is just more fun and cleaner, I think. I don't know. King Domino is pretty clean, but I think this just has more to it. I think my complaint with that one is like, I don't, I didn't think it would hold up after like multiple plays, but I think this one would. Um, yeah. My uh, question is like, are the animal like uh, scoring always the same or are there different animals or different? No. So the, the animals don't change. It's always the same four animals. Right, and looking at the rule book, it looks like the art is the same on each card. I'm not worried about that, but the scoring are different. So mm -hmm. uh, the setup that we played is the recommendation for a first play. Um, but then it, the setup is similar to cartographers where you have the four different types of scoring mm. and you get to randomly select one of the cards from that block. Mm. So you will always have the five animals, but there are four different options for each of the five animals. Mm. Yeah. So I think that would make it all, like good, replayable and interesting. So, yeah. um, yeah, this is a, uh, this is a good one. All right. Uh, that was Cascadia. So if you have any recommendations of games you would like to hear our impressions on, especially if they feature fantastic art uh, or otherwise, please just send them our way. You can do that via email. It's firstturntabletop at Gmail, or we are available on the Twitter and Instagram at First Turn Cast and our podcasting camel. And he is he is like at the river's edge. Oh, he's figuring yeah. to be in a tree. Nope. Nope. He's <laughs> not gonna be a tree elk. He is at the river's edge. Uh and he's watching the uh bear down the stream trying to catch that Chinook salmon. And he says, please. He's got a whisper because he doesn't really want the bear no, to come after him. Whispers. Yeah. Please. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcatchers. We look forward to hearing from you. Play more games! No, the elk, the elk thing just went to complete shit. <laughs> We're off the, the, the elk hype now. Uh, elks, are, elks are out. Tree elk are the only thing that can uh, stand an attack from a from a puffin goose. Ooh, puff, only puffin. if they're in their tree. Wow. Yeah, only if they're in the tree. Once it once a tree once elk is leaves. on the ground, yeah. it's it's out of its natural habitat. And it's <laughs> oh no, I've overbeared. Well, I've poorly placed. Oh, bear. Oh yeah, you you poorly. That bared. can only be bear. You 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 bared poorly. I want a bear. I want a bear.